Welcome to Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life, a podcast that aims to provide listeners with insights on how to live life as a disciple of Christ. This show tackles various topics such as how to grow in faith, deepen relationships with God and others, and serve others in a Christ-like manner. Hello and welcome back to another installment of Disciple Life, the Bible, and Everyday Life. I am here today, and today is not Tuesday. It is, no, it is Tuesday. I'm already, like, mo- most of us, we, I'm, I'm like way, way ahead. Today is Tuesday, it is May 2nd, and I am joined on my left uh, by Pastor Dan Newberg, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas. I was going to say another different church because we were talking about it. Anyway, how are you, man? I'm good. Um, and we, we just have to clear up that, that little line. We were those, talking about a different church for a different reason and a different individual. Those, Nothing to do with Those me. first five minutes are gone. They're going to be history. Okay. So. Um, yeah, so this past Sunday, we talked about the Messiah being tested. And so yeah. we were, uh, after a very long list of names, all male names in the Gospel of Luke, you led us into Luke chapter 4, and we got to see how Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, goes fasting, praying, and then he meets an unlikely visitor towards the very end. So why don't you walk us through... Again, just a brief story, and then lead us off. Yeah, so after the baptism of Jesus and um, the genealogy uh, that Luke records for us at the end of chapter 3, coming into chapter 4, we find that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into a wilderness, into the wilderness is how Luke records it. To, be, to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. Um, and it is a passage that I expect many people struggle with. Um, why would God send himself to be tempted by the devil? Um, why would this happen? Um, and we find that in that passage, there are three specific temptations uh, of Jesus by the devil. Um, the first being to demonstrate his miraculous ability and power uh, by transforming or changing a, a mere stone into bread and to meet his physical need uh, and, and provide sustenance, sustenance to his body. Um, the second is to take them, he's, the devil takes uh, Jesus up to this very, very high place upon which all of the kingdoms and powers and principalities of the world can be seen and observed. And Jesus is tempted to take authority and rule over them um, if he would just worship Satan. Hmm. Um, and then the third is... Uh, Satan then takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple uh, in Jerusalem, which would be a high point in it, and to um, throw himself down from that pinnacle uh, so as to call his life into question. Um, and before the entire congregation of the, of the temple, show to them that he is the Son of God because Scripture says that when you are of God, that God's going to protect you, and that God would send angels to protect him and whatnot. So why don't you do that just so you can show who you are to everybody? 
And uh, Jesus declines that temptation by saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And so Jesus passes the test, um, and Satan at that point is buffeted. Um, And then he withdraws for, as Luke says, an opportune time to Mm. return. So... Lots of great detail. Thank you for retelling the story. Um, I find it interesting. You, in the introduction to the sermon, and then as you led us into the main points, breaking down the engagement between God himself and Satan in this very awkward situation of Satan trying to tempt God himself. That's, I like the way you, you stated that there a few moments ago. There, you said that we have been so accustomed to hearing this in a particular way that there's a real danger for the Christian to be overly familiarized with the text to the point that we become numb and deaf deaf to its message. So why don't you uh, just spend a few moments into how a familiarity with the Bible can dull out some of its glory? Sure. And do you mind if I expand upon that? By all means. No, no, no. Go for Um, it. So, you know, one of the... One of the common practices uh, or a spiritual discipline that you will find um, good ministers and churches advocating for uh, of their members and participants is daily Bible reading. Um, to, to immerse yourself in the Word of God, to meet with God in His Word daily. Um, for your own edification and so that you might be uh, edifying to your brothers and sisters amongst the body that God has planted you in. Um, What we stand in danger of if we approach the Word of God and the things of God with a sense of familiarity is we will not have respect first first of all we will not have respect for God and the things of God if we just assume that we already know everything that there is about that particular passage um, so as to say that when we encounter the temptation of Jesus we can move past those 13 or 14 verses in the Bible because we know that Jesus checks three boxes and therefore we can check the box on our reading plan if we're using that and move on right and in so doing, we, we lose a sense of respect for who God is and how the Spirit moves in, in the Word and in the indwelling of the believer to reveal uh, deeper things as we, as we mature in Christ. What this also um, breeds within the Christian, and I'll also add the non-Christian who may have been uh, exposed to the Word of God, um, and just assuming how things will go, um, aside from a sense of, of disrespect, is the sense of um, just in the just in the familiarity. There's um, there there's a danger therein that um, we can we can take this we can approach things easily or without. Um, and maybe this is related to the sense of respect, but I think of it in the in the like the illustration I gave about this sense of driving. Um, that when we're when we're driving in those familiar places, we're actually more exposed to the risk of being involved in a motor vehicle accident 
because we feel like we can not focus on what's immediately in front of us because we know the road, if you will, uh, like the back of our hands. I think about how on the same Sunday when this message was preached in this church, we came to the Lord's table to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, how that can be uh, an element within worship that we approach with familiarity and therefore do not respect what it means to take of the body and the blood of Christ in remembrance of his sacrifice mm. um, and to what familiarity may breed in a sense of disrespect and, and, and personal danger of, okay, this is just a a really bad cracker and a, a, a tart drink that I'm just going to blow through, you know, sure. um, not, not fully embracing that we are to be, we are to remind ourselves, um, individually and corporately that Jesus's body was literally destroyed, um, for us. It was bruised and it was beaten. It was whipped. It was shred. Um, his blood was literally shed for us, um, all so that the wrath of God may be um, may be atoned for by His sacrifice and death, um, and and He would serve as our substitute for what we what we're each do for our sin. If we we can approach the Word of God or elements of worship with that sense of disconcern, disrespect, all because we're familiar with it. Um, even a, even not just an element of worship, but just worship in general, which, you know, reading the Bible is a form of worship, coming to the Lord's table is a form of worship. But even for us who, um, who claim to be a non-liturgical people, but yet we have a very regular liturgy of when we stand up and when we sit down, that we can even approach uh, things of worship um, like almost in a, you know, in com old computing world, you used to have like safe mode on your laptop or whatever. You could boot into safe mode and know when to stand and when to sit, but not actually have any uh, brain function involved in, in the sense of worship. Mm. Um, that you're just there, but you're not actually present and participating and actually lifting praises to the King of Kings. Um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch here that just, when you become, when you approach God and the things of God with familiarity, that's a scary place to be. You, it, hmm. So now I think back to um, what, you know, and I'll ask, I'll bounce this back to you to kind of make a point. Um, when Moses first encounters God, in the form of the burning bush, what does God tell Moses to do? Take your shoes off or your sandals off. Because? You're standing on holy ground. We should be approaching God and the thing, things of God in the same way. Now, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem if you kicked your shoes off in church so much. Maybe other people would. and But the, the, the footwear thing isn't the point, but it's that when we are, when we are actively approaching God and the things of God, we have to know that we are approaching the holy, holy, holy God. Right. Um, I also think of um, that line from um, The Lion, the, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
think it's the line, the, the Witch in the Wardrobe. It comes from the Chronicles of Narnia series from C.S. Lewis. And I think it's a conversation that involves Mr. Beaver and one of the kids, and they're asking about Aslan, the, the, the lion. And uh, the, they're, they're asking Mr. Beaver, well, tell us about him, you know. Um, and ultimately the question lands to Mr. Beaver, well, is he safe? And Aslan in, in, the, in the book is a representation of Christ, of God. Um, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, certainly not. He's not safe. Um, but then he goes on to say, but he is loving and merciful and graceful. But don't ever consider him to be um, safe. You, you say that, and then there's a correlating the text to the movie. Uh, the battle's done. They're at the castle that overlooks the coast. And they said, well, we see him again. He says, well, when there's a need, he'll be back. Or you have to remember, he's not a tamed lion. Yeah, he's not a tamed lion. So anyway, making a long effort at this, probably unnecessarily long, um, we've got to know that we're approaching a holy God, the holy God. Which, and, again, I think it goes with the imagery of C.S. Lewis, which there's no consequence, there's not, not consequence, there's no... Um, surprise that he actually chose the image of a lion one biblical but also uh, people who work with lions will tell you there's one there's a, n a number of uh, programs on this that that you always enter a cage where you're training a lion with great fear and respect of the lion because you can crack a whip you can keep him at bay but if he ever so chooses he can kill you uh, if you don't have respect for the fact that he is a lion that has the power to kill. It's the same, the same principle with God, uh, only to the nth degree, because, you know, the living God, perfect, holy, like you mentioned. So. Yep. So why, why, that's, why the message went there was to say that this passage I know to be a familiar one um, in, in Christianity, right? It, it's it's a it's a passage that is preached. It's taught. Um, even home Bible studies will um, will debate what's going on in that particular passage. It's it's not like um, a Leviticus or Numbers text that, um, or, that chronicles. or Chronicles text that um, many of us just choose to pretend like it's not in the Bible. Right um, and is really unfamiliar territory. Where this is really familiar territory, right? And because it's familiar, it's also it's based off of my study of um, sermons that have been preached um, from this text. It's there have been some misfirings, if you will, about what is actually going on or what 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 God is intending to communicate about himself in the person of Jesus Christ in this text that, um, that does not do the whole justice. Right. Um, and, and that's where I was talking about walking down a, a three-segmented path, um, this idea that you, know, you walk through the three temptations of Jesus and you walk away with a personal application because we're approaching the Bible with familiarity, wanting to know, what do I need to get out of this so I can apply this to my life? You walk away with some measures of application, like I should love my Bible more, 
uh, a whole bunch of reinforced, uh, I need to memorize more, more verses, um, the, and a couple other things that I, I think I had thrown in there that were at some point, oh, I should, maybe I should fast, um, and, um, uh, and in maybe Baptist I, circles, that might be very well received by doctors and physicians all over the place. Um, you know, uh, to check my heart on why I, for my motivation in doing things, you know, the kingdoms of the world, you know, is, is am I seeking fame uh, kind of thing. Um, you know, th those types of questions which, yes, in and of themselves are wonderful points of application, but they're not the point of application from this text. Right. Um, they're, they're secondary things. And my, my issue that was intended to be brought out with the message was we've, we have been satisfied with familiarity and secondary helpings and not a primary helping right. um, from what God is doing in this passage. I, I totally agree. I, I think one of, the, one of the points that really stuck as I was listening was this concept of one we we need to pay attention to how Jesus and what Jesus refers to as he is responding to the attacks of the enemy because the enemy is quite the theologian himself he sure. knows how to draw on scripture twist it just enough so that it's a misfire about the character of God but yet you you called our attention to needing to pay attention to what Jesus is actually quoting in order in order to counter the attack by Satan. Yeah, and so that, that's an important detail. Just as important as the names that come at the end of chapter 3 um, is drawing attention to what is it that Jesus is quoting from the Word of God. Um, yes, he's quoting Scripture. Yes. And he's quoting from a particular book in Scripture, which is the book of Deuteronomy. Um, the name Deuteronomy um, comes from uh, a word meaning second law, or in other words, the second reading out or the second recording of the law of God that was given to Moses. Um, the law of God, we would do right to remember, was the law that God had given to man to live by. Right. And so what Jesus is doing is quoting back scripture to Satan that God had given to humanity to live by. Why that's important to come to that point is to understand what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in the person of Jesus right now in the wilderness at the temptation of, uh, with the temptation of Satan. What Jesus is doing is he is emptying himself of every bit of his glory and of his power. And he is so humbling himself that he is submitting himself to the word of God that was given to humanity to live by. He is identifying himself as a man, mm. subject to the word that he had given. Okay, so I think I've explained this before. My brain works like a mini theater. I can see images as, as people describe things. All I'm seeing is Jesus in, 
in human flesh, receiving and submitting himself unto himself, because he is the word of God, the living word of God, who proceeds from the Father, equal with the Father, co-equal with the Father, eternal with the Father. I'm, 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 my brain is taking time to process just all of the layers of submission here. Anyway, proceed. So, he has submitted himself to the word that he has given for man to live by, so that he can go back, if you will, um, and present himself as man or humanity as man was meant to be. So now, mm. where I mean, we and we, this is where there's now a lot of beauty coming into this text when we begin to see this, right? You have, we're coming right back into, um, we're coming into this comparison uh, or the, these um, stories that are living in opposition to one another where you have the first man, the head of humanity, Adam, who is placed by God in a, in a place called the Garden of Eden. This place that is full of life, um, that it has every provision. And mm. Adam is not by himself. God has given to him a helpmate, Eve. Um, God's own presence is there. Scripture says that he walked amongst the garden. Right. Um, Adam had everything. Yet in one temptation... He floundered he all of floundered, it. He faltered. Yeah. And all of it was gone, and we have inherited that. And here comes Jesus onto the scene. And absent all of the beauty of the garden, he's in a barren place known as the wilderness, in isolation. Doesn't have a helpmate named Eve. Um, he is tempted not once but thrice three times and highly vulnerable and very vulnerable like 40 days no food no drink highly highly yeah. vulnerable not like you know i've been eating the most um delectable fruits de delectable and rarest of fruits and veggies and whatever you know uh, that that are fruit of the vine no he's highly vulnerable wow and does not falter what what god is doing in this text is he is demonstrating what humanity was meant to be right and what humanity can be and will be in and through jesus christ which then does a beautiful job of tying in the end of chapter three because there's a reason why we are seeing that we start with Joseph all the way back to God. Then we see just in that um, compare contrast between the creation of the world and the cosmos. And now we see Christ coming to redeem the world in faithful obedience to the Father. By submitting to not only the prayer, the fasting, the isolation from all people for 40 days. But then to face Satan and then coming on top, not by psychological games, not by personal will or by uh, 
I'm going to take a, a jab at something that's very popular in Christian in Christian circles, some Christian circles today, not by having a dream board and willing it into existence, but simply by surrendering, but to the to the right person. So that that is in itself is amazing just to see all those details form a beautiful bouquet of truth. And this gets us to a point that I that I made on Sunday that also comes by way of a question um, from a, a, a wonderful member in our church that I made in the course of the sermon that um, that without understanding what God is telling us about Jesus in this passage, we approach Jesus understanding, or in other words, these secondary points of application, um, relegate Jesus to being a mere example for us right. um, and not understanding first and foremost that he is Savior of humanity. First and foremost. First and yes. foremost. Yes. It's not to say that Jesus is absolutely not our example. When we are in Christ, um, there are many scriptures, and, and the, the questioner offered uh, some of them to point to um, that, that we are to conform to his image and to his likeness. Um, I completely agree. Also, we find in Peter and in Romans chapter 8, references to uh, Jesus being our elder brother. Um, completely agree. What I wanted to point out in the course of this is in in the familiarity and the, the serving of these secondary points of application is that we can miss the fact that he is Savior and settle for an example. And in the course of that, what we, what we may be unaware of, particularly for the non-Christian, is that we're denying grace and we are breeding a sense of works-based righteousness by saying, I read my Bible. I've memorized some verses. Right. And this is a real issue because far too often in the West, what I mean by the West is to say that um, in Europe and the United States, there has been a call to discipleship that would um, result in someone believing that all they need do is emulate the actions of Jesus. Mm without actually surrendering to Him as Savior and Lord. And that is what God in His Word is telling us that Jesus is. Right. Savior and Lord. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He identified, if you will, as man, subjected Himself to the word that he gave man to live by and was obedient fully. So obedient, as Paul says, that he was obedient to the point of death, even death right. on a cross. Right. Um, so no escape hatch for Jesus, no escape hatch for us. No escape hatch. No, um, 
I mean, you can go back to the, the second example, or the, the, the second uh, temptation. Jesus had the perfect escape hatch. Satan was serving the world up to him on a silver platter. He just had the bow to knee to him. Jesus could have had it. There was no escaping. There was no beam me up, Scotty. Um, there was and is a cross that awaits Jesus. It's the cross that is the opportune time that, that Satan returns, right? And wears mm -hmm. his most ugly of heads. Um, but there was no escaping that. And there's no and there's no escaping the fact for you and I or anyone who's listening that you've got to come to terms with and answer the question is who is Jesus? Right. And and that well, first point is I love what, how this all connects together and and just taking our time through the text and reading it because just a few weeks back you led us to a point where joy and suffering can coexist together and they can come into a a place where as Christians we can go through suffering but still rejoice because of the fact that God is with us and we are glorifying him not suffering as the Old Testament the book of um, Proverbs and also some of the the Psalms would testify not for suffering sake or for sin but rather suffering because of who we follow in his example um, and secondly I really in, um, enjoy how this then leads to the conclusion of the question you asked as you then gave a, a, a benediction and an invitation is our life Jesus-centered and not um, man-centered because that was one of the big points, is that we often end up in wrong places in the scriptures and theological stances because we tend to look to read this book or your copy of it, uh, the Holy Bible, with us as the hero and humanity as the victor and not with God as the one who is the great I am and the great hero of the narrative. Yes, and we can also read the Bible for... What's in this for me? Right. Um, what What's my takeaway? What What are, What's my point of application so I can clean up my life a bit more? Right. Um, if we do not understand that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and the means by which God entered into time in order to accomplish salvation then when we encounter these familiar texts, we miss the forest for the trees. That's, what, that's exactly how you were breaking down your sermon on Sunday, so I appreciate that. Any other thoughts? Nope. I'm all out of them. Okay. So he, he does points, but never a poem to close a point, which is a good thing. Um, I will I will say this to our audience. If you have any questions, any comments, we encourage you to please share those on your platform of choice, whether you're listening, whether you are watching on YouTube uh, or Facebook, wherever you watch this. Please share your comments. Send us your questions. You can do that by following the link that's on the description below 
or simply by sending us an email uh, through the church app that says Ask the Pastors or sending a comment or question to carlos at fbcdivine.org. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you back. I know that when you're gone, it's it, it's it's still good, but it's not the same. It's like the, the full team's not here. Even like today, it's a little different that Sydney's not here. I know. But it'll be okay. We'll go back. With that being said, Pastor Dan, do you want to sign us off today? Thank you for listening to the Disciple Life podcast, The Bible in Everyday Life. Thank you for listening to Disciple Life, The Bible in Everyday Life with Pastors Carlos Garduño and Dan Newberg. We encourage you to send any questions for the podcast to info at fbcdivine.org or by commenting on the audio platform of your choice. We look forward to engaging with your questions during future episodes.